Popcorn's perfect. Popcorn is perfect. Excellent. Good. <laughs> so we're gonna start. We're going to start um, and try at least for a few weeks, at least until the summer, to work off of this safer. Midos are of cook. Um, well, I'll just just tell you a little bit about about this safer. Rav Cook, Rav Cook, lived between the years of 1865 and 1935, and he, his life spanned all different places. He was at one point in, in England even for a little bit, but he was the, he's known mostly as the chief rabbi of, of Israel, the first chief rabbi of Israel. And um, his writings are extremely poetic, beautiful, um, very much connected to Eretz Yisrael. And um, his son, the Cook, took a lot of his writings. Um, Rav Cook wrote, literally all day long. He sat with a pen and paper and was constantly just like a free-flowing writing, 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 writing. Um, there, are, there are definitely essays that he wrote intentionally. There are things that he uh, wrote about that was more formal. And then there were just literally free-flowing things where he just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And his son, Ritzihu the Cook, as well as um, some of the other Talmudim that he had uh, spent some time combing through the things he wrote and, and tried to put them into some sort of semblance of order. So this Sefer, Midas Haraya, Midas Harav Kuk, is not written by Rav Kuk. It's, a, it's what Rav Tzi Yehuda took out of the writings of Rav Kuk and put down his thoughts onto a piece of paper, um, or in this case, into a safer. So what happens is, is the way when, like every time that somebody is, a Talmud is writing over the stuff of a, of a Rebbe, their language is not the same. So if Cook's style is usually much, much flowerier, this is gonna be a little bit more formal. At the same time, it's gonna be easier because if Cook's writing is usually very tough to read. Um, in many ways, it seems like he was, trying to make words up in order to capture the things he was feeling, which is what many poets do to manipulate language to be able to express themselves. So by way of, of Hakdam, I was reading through this, this, um, this version. And one of the questions that he asks, the, 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 uh, the one who wrote the introduction to this, Rev. Ellie Adler, I don't, I don't know who that is, but he wrote a, um, some ideas about what Rav Cook, you know, did Rav Cook have anything to offer uh, the world of Musser? And really, what I want to what I want to get into tonight is to talk about Musser, to talk about what Musser is, and to talk about what Musser isn't, because it's one of those things that I think many of us are raised in a certain way, um, and our concept of Musa, we, we changed the whole format around again. Just to, very yes, it's very disorienting. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, we changed our, our dining room again. Um, but we're, it's, it's all an experiment. It's all beyond Hashem. So Rav Cook really was a, um, 
was all over the place in terms of learning. His learning was, and his, his understanding of human nature and Torah and Hashem and the world had such a breadth to it that it's really not possible to, <laughs> to consider the corpus of it because when you, when you see someone who writes so much, you realize that uh, there, there must have been things that he didn't write. Um, and so it's really like, it's really impossible. So one of the things that this Rebbe Eli Adler asks is, it's like, what did Rav Cook have to offer the world of Musser? What did Rav Cook have to, like, what was his thing? So he says here, Rav Cook offers uh, a modern day language for uh, people that lived, all the Bali Musser that lived before him were speaking the language of their generation. And Rav Cook writes very modernly at his times for the generation that he lived in. And so he had his own language of, of explaining Rav Kook. But then he goes on and, he's, and he, he tries to explain, and I, I want to expand a little bit on, on what he says, what Rav Kook's quote unquote shita is in Musser. And I want to start with that because I think that there are, there are different quote unquote shitas. And a lot of this you'll just recognize from basic human nature. Classically, most of what we think about when we think of Musser is the Hashem sits abstractly, the Torah sits abstractly in a very hierarchical way. Hashem is in Shemayim. We are down here on earth. We need to receive from Hashem. We need to receive Shefa from Hashem. We need to receive good things from Hashem. And part of the good things we receive from Hashem is direction which very quickly that direction that we receive from Hashem tends to be looked at as not direction, but rule, law, responsibility. It becomes an all on top of us. You have to do, you have to do it this way. Musr for many of us looks like the reins of a horse. It's, we have something connected to our mouths like this and God is sitting like this. He pulls when you're going this way, he pulls when you're going that way. And that's what Musr is in, in many ways. For many people, that sense of direction from the outside, not just from the outside, but from up above, works very well. So there are certain people, based on their tunas and efesh, based on their, their psychological and person, personality makeup, where they respond very well to direction. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. They just respond very well to direction. Tell me how, tell me how I should be. If you give me direction of how I should be, I will thrive. I will do the best, the best that I can. And the more that I know of how I should be, the better my life will be. I'm better off for it. I like direction. I want direction. I need direction. Tell me how it should be. So the learning of Musr is based on the basic, uh, the most basic way of understanding. The learning of Musr is a way for us to learn what is the direction that the Torah gives us. How should I live? What should I do? I could take Musr, I could take advice, life advice from my friend. I could take life advice from a rabbi. I could take life advice from pop psychology. I could take life advice from anyone. The best place to take life advice from would be from God directly. So that's the area of Musr. Musr tells you how it should be. That's one Mahalach and Musr, there are certain Bali Musr who write that way. There are certain generations where that was very real, that was very important, and, and that's, that's one Mahalach. 
There's another Mahalach that comes really from the inside out. And the inside out Mahalach is not simply do whatever you want, whatever you whatever feels the right, the most right to you, whatever feels the most correct for you. That's not, that's not, uh, that's not the, the other Mahalach. The other Mahalach is if you learn about and understand what the Torah has to say about you, what the Torah has to say about me, then I can use the Torah as a way of figuring out how to express myself in the best way. It's not an up, it's not an outside in approach. It's not a, it's not an up down approach. It's an inside out approach. You want to know the best way to express yourself. If you learn the area of Torah that's called Musar, you will find a way to express yourself. Oh, you have this Midah. This is the way you express this Midah. You want to know the best way you can uh, fulfill your dreams. You look towards Musar, you look towards what the Torah has to say, the advice that the Torah has to give, and you find a way, that you use that, I'm sorry, you use that as a way to express yourself. So for example, the first Musar Sefer that was ever written was Pirkei Avos. Maybe even Mishle, but Pirkei Avos, really. The, the question that's asked at the beginning by all the Mufarshan of the of Pirkeavis, why is Pirkeavis considered part of part of Gemara, part of Mishnayis? What's the Chiddush that Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai and he gave it to Yeshua? Right, Moshe Kibel Torah Misinai Umasruha Yeshua and he he gave it over to Yeshua. Why? What's the Chiddush of that? It's very possible that you could learn Pirkeavis and say, well, the Jews also have a nice uh, you know ethics. The Jews also have uh, good advice for how to live. And um, we can put it with the, with the great, you know, Christian theolo theologians and the, the great philosophers, the Greek philosophers, and you can say, okay, the Jews also have beautiful, beautiful advice. The Chiddush of Pirkei Avos is, we don't just have good advice. There's something about the advice that's given in Pirkei Avos that comes from the Torah itself. That means that there's some nitzchias to it. There's, there's a kernel of MS there, that it's not simply just happenstance. Like, like, Beisha, like Shammai says, have a Mikabalist called Adam Besever Panam Yafas. Shammai says you should receive every person with a nice face. Rabbi Shmuel Aymer, a few, few parakim later, Rabbi Shmuel Aymer, have a Mikabalist called Adam Besimcha. Two different sentences about how you should interact with someone. One sentence is, be makabal each person with saver panim yafos. The other one says, be makabal each person with simcha. So the, the Rishayim have, have a question. Is there a difference between those two things? So one way you could say, the Rambam says, there's a difference. Shammai said, receive each person with a nice smile. Rabbi Shmuel says, receive each person with simcha. What's the difference? So the Rambam doesn't say a difference. What he says is that Rabbi Shmuel is taking it a step further. One way you could say the difference of the, the, the Bali Midrashim explain is that Shammai was saying, put a smile on your face. Rabbi Shmuel was saying, don't just put a smile on your face. Internally, you have to find a way that when you see people, that it should make you happy. It's a distinction. It's a difference. So who cares? At the end of the day, who cares? The answer is it's, it's not simply just a nice vart. 
The idea of Pirkeyavos is the Torah tells you what not just best practices, the Torah tells you how Hashem wants you to live. The, there's a major distinction, which, which is what I really want to try to, to try to conquer tonight. There's a major, major distinction between nice life advice. There's a major distinction even between the, the deepest, most spiritual kinds of feelings you can feel and what the Torah has to offer. And that's really what I tried to say last, last week, that in moving into this direction of talking about Musr and talking about Midos, it's taking everything we've done until now and trying to move it a little, a little further. Now we get into a real distinction between what it means to feel like you matter and what it means to actually matter. What's the difference between feeling internally like I mean something and the Torah's version of how do you actualize and how do you feel like you mean something. The word Musr in, in many ways means the word ethics. Ethics, what's ethical? What does the Torah view as ethical? What is ethical for us in our lives? But the word Musr also comes from the word Moser, to give over. There are two when it comes to raising children, but it also when it comes to the way we, we are raised, there are two things. One is called chenach, the other is called musar, musara. The distinction between the two could be looked at as the distinction between these two ways of learning musar. Chenach, to be mechanech something, means that you create something, you teach something, you give material over to someone, you teach them. Chanukah Sabayas means you consecrate a house. You, you, say, you say this house now suddenly has a new appeal to it. You create something anew. You consecrate it. You give it some value that's more than what it has. That's Musr from the top down. To be mechanech someone is to say, I have information for you that you don't have, and I'll, I'll tell you how, how it should be. And you'll take that information, you'll go back, and you'll actualize it. Great. So when it comes to advice in life, you could be mechanech someone. That's one mahalach. Musr, misora, to be moser something means you give something of yourself over. The idea of musr, of misora, of tradition, of giving things over, is, comes from a much different place than chinuch. Chinuch means I don't have something, you give it to me. Misora is like nutrients. It, it flows between us, and really it flows from generations earlier. It flows not downwards, but within, right? Masora, the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu gave Yeshua the Torah, he was Masrua, the Yeshua, he gave it to Yeshua, doesn't mean that he gave it. It means he passed it along. That's why every generation has a chiddush from the generation of past. We don't, we are not, the Torah does not ask us to just follow what we've done in the past. It's one of the, it's one of the great tensions that exists in Torah. You have to, you have to be Makabal from the past. You have to receive Chinuch from the past. You have to connect to the past. You have to have that thing that flows from outside in, but you also need to actualize it on your own. It has to become your own. It has to be your own. Every generation has to be Makabal the Torah. Every day we have to be Makabal the Torah. Every day I have to be Makabal myself anew. That tension can be found very much in this distinction between chinuch and musar, misora. To be, mis, to be moser something, to give something over, 
and to receive a Masira, to receive Masora, means that I'm receiving something internally. It's not coming from the outside in, but there's some nutrient that I can tune into that activates something in me. And that activation is Musar. That's the, that is the, the Masora, so to speak. That is the, the Musar of Masora. So you can have the Musar of Chinuch and the Musar of Masora. You can have the Musar of what we, we, the data we take from the outside, or we can be tickled internally and that will activate something on the outside. I can speak for myself that I, I grew up in a, when I was a little kid, we, we lived in, in, a, in an area in Brooklyn where there were very, very few from families. And there was, I don't know how it ended up, there was a, a little Hasidah Shereba, his father was also a little Hasidah Shereba, little in all ways, they had like a little Hasidahs and like they were short people. And somehow there was this, this Rebbe son ended up in, in, in Flapper somewhere and it's on you and 24th. And um, that's where my father settled. I don't know, that's where my parents settled and we dove in that little shtibel. My memories of that shtibel had really nothing to do with like a meaningful Yiddishkeit but it was purely 100% the most meaningful thing for me as a kid. The guy who sat next to me in shul, the kid who sat next, next to me in shul, they would show up like very late. And the father had a very like, you know, boisterous personality. And this kid would sit right next to me and he would try to talk to me. And every time he would talk to me, the father would turn around with a backhand and like whop him across the face, grab his finger, stick it on the place. And when, his, when he saw this kid was sticking the place, he turned around and continued talking. And this kid, this poor kid, he would like have to like get caught up with it. I mean, it was very traumatizing for him, of course. But it became a game for him, for, between him and his father. It became a game. Um, I was terrified of it, but, you know, my father didn't do that to me. By the time Laning came around, there were guys in the back making Kiddush. By the time Laney was over, there was a whole cover in the back that were preparing the bags. They used to put out little bags with head that had plastic tablecloths and plastic forks and knives. And by the time Mustaf was over, the tables were already set, ready for Kiddush. And I remember, I remember this, this thing, my, my wife couldn't fathom this. The guy who said Kaddish at the end of Musaf would, would go back, there was no breath in between. It was because he was already holding his, his little shot. That's the, that's the little shtibah that I grew up in. By the time we were like 10 or 11, there was such a fight that broke out that most of the people left. And then we went to wherever we went to. And all the years following that, that we went to, a, you know, the other schools that we went to that were not Hasidish shtibahs, I couldn't, I just, it just didn't interest me. And... I don't know. I never really went back to that kind of like shtibol. Um, and I don't daven in a place like that. But that Rebbe always had a smile on his face. And even when he didn't have a smile on his face, he had a smile on his face. And he knew what went on there was like literally just a zoo. And nobody really cared. But that, to me, was the first taste I ever had of Masara. That's Masara. It was dysfunctional for sure. Whatever was terrifying about that kid and that father, it was a game between the two of them. It, 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 I don't know if he ended up in therapy or not. He probably did. It's fine. I did. 
but what, whatever, not, but not because of that. There was a certain element of warmth. There was a certain element of connectivity. There's a certain element, no matter where you go, no matter which bar you go to, no matter whatever thing I could try to think of that might replicate that outside of a Jewish place, I couldn't replicate it. You just can't replicate it. This, that smell of potato kugel and coming into a shul at nine o'clock in the morning and there's nobody there, but the <laughs> Rebbe is sitting there with four sugar cubes like this and a cup of coffee and a plate of potato kugel and eating it all together somehow. There's something about that you just can't replicate. And, 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 and it's like that really, I think for each of us, and even if we don't grow up that way, there's some, there's somehow, we can call it a pentaliid, we can call it whatever we want. There's somehow, we each have somehow, with a culture of Judaism, somehow tickle something inside of us. Rav Kook's chiddush is not that he speaks Musr from that angle. That's not his chiddush. Other people are mechadish that too. That's really the whole mahalach of the Basham, the Basham Akadosh. The, the whole mahalach of Pnimi Satara is to connect from the inside out, is to tickle something inside of us and inspire us. And then, once we're inspired, then to go into the Torah and say, okay, so now what does the Torah have for me? If the Torah could inspire me, if a piece of potato could inspire me, or the smell of fresh challah, or a Friday night suda, <laughs> whatever it might be for any of us, Singing, singing Adon Olam at the end of davening, whatever it might be, whatever thing tickles me inside of me, that opens my heart to now turn around and say, okay, what's that about? I was just, um, there was a Shabbaton here in, in, uh, at Aish at this week, and the guy who was sitting next to me is part of the people that arranged for the organization that had the Shabbaton. And so he told me that he brought, he's a wealthy guy, he brought 40 guys to the Siam Hashas, Two years, I guess it was two years ago. And a lot of these guys had never known from anything, anything Jewish, and they showed up, and there's 90,000 people in City Field. And um, that's a pretty remarkable event. So one of the guys who was there said, like, what, like, what is this thing? What, what do we say? What's Dafyomi? The kids started to learn Dafyomi. College, college age, uh, uh, he's probably in his early 20s. He started to learn Dafyomi. He didn't know what tefillin was. He didn't know what kosher was. He didn't know anything from anything. But he was—he saw 90,000 people standing around. So he started to learn Duffy. I mean, of course, that led to wherever it led to. There's something about Musser that we, at least for me, that makes us somehow cringe because somehow it feels as if that we have to contend with things like guilt we have to contend with things like being crushed under the weight of some massive 5,000 year tradition that, you know, there's way too much to learn, there's way too much to do. Somehow we've, we've, we've tuned into that or tapped into that in our culture. Choosing to learn Rav Kook and choosing to use Rav Kook as a, as a way to access Musser is an attempt at least on my part, even for myself, really, to go through this and to learn Musser from the other angle, to learn Musser from an angle that's not about telling me what to do, but instead is showing me how to activate myself. Because all, to take this a little deep, all of our lives, what it means to matter 
in Hashem's eyes is it means for me to learn that every single thing about me matters. It's, it's so funny to like say this. You could say this and people could take this in the exact opposite direction. If somebody got up and said to you, you know, everything about, everything you do matters. So do a really good job. That could be either the most pressurizing, most guilt-inducing, shameful kind of thing that feels like it's crushing your windpipe, or it could be the most freeing, most beautiful, empowering thing on the planet. And that's really the, the razor-sharp edge that Musser dances between, because both are really true. Both are really true. If you look through our tradition, we have a tremendous amount of this, like if we just had in the sixth parsha, the Taikacha. Somebody in Shul asked me, why do we say the Taikacha when the, when the Balkari reads all the curses? Why do we read all the curses low? Why do you read it uh, uh, quietly? The Hasidic Rebbe's, many of the big tzaddikim, when they would, when they would hear the Taikacha read, they would hear all the pinimis of the Taikacha. And what do you think the pinimis of the Taikacha is? It's all simcha. The whole thing is simcha. You could say what it means, like paradoxically, what they mean, what they, what they, what they would hear is, it can't be Hashem would punish us with such extreme insanity. Like that's insane. It can't mean that. It has to mean something paradoxical. Like I see them every time there's something negative, it's it's just it's paradoxical because everything's about simcha. Everything's about simcha. But the truth is that the big tzaddikim, the rabbis, they would they would hear the Taikacha, and all they would hear is how much Hashem loves them. Every single word of the Taikacha is how much Hashem loves us, how beautiful it is to be Jewish, how amazing it means to matter in Hashem's eyes. So that's really this attempt. As we, we get closer to Shavuos, our attempt is, and that's really what all sphere has been about, and maybe we could continue it, is to be Misaki Maimidos, is to get my house in order. To get my house in order means internally and behaviorally and, and thoughtfully, to get my house in order means to get God's house into order. There's nothing more beautiful, there's nothing on the planet that's more beautiful than a person getting their life in order. There's nothing more magnificent than a person getting their life in order because the most treasured thing that exists in this world is me. And that's what Hashem sees when he looks down at each and every one of us. He says, I created you, and you're the most magnificent creature I created. You're more magnificent than, than anything. So, yes, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to see people trimming the trees in the middle of the forest and pruning, and pruning the trees and taking care of whatever needs to be taken care of and building houses and all that's great. You're taking care of God's world. You're taking care of God's gods. You're taking care of beautiful, magnificent things. That's fine. But if you take care of yourself and you learn for yourself the best practices of living, you activate the most magnificent thing in the world. And that's really, I was learning today, the Ma'ari Naim. The Ma'ari Naim says that, it says in the Pasuk, we're created, we're created in the image of God. So he asks the obvious question that everyone asks. God doesn't have an image. God is beyond image. It's beyond infinity. What does that mean? So he says that, we're created We're created in the image of Torah. The Torah was written in a way that mirrors me. The Torah is not written as some abstract book in the sky that tells me how to live. 
The Torah is written in my image. I am created in the Torah's image, and the Torah was written, was manipulated to be matim for me. It's connected to me somehow. When I'm actualizing a mitzvah, essentially what I'm doing is I'm actualizing myself in the way that is most apropos for me. Now, what that means and how we get there and how does that work with all of my interest in doing things that are connected to Torah, these are all great questions to a large degree. I think a lot of what we're going to cover is how do I fit all of my averas and how do I fit all of my interest in doing evil? How does that fit with the fact that my neshama just wants to be mekayim, everything that Hashem wants for me? How does that work? It doesn't make sense. My ratzon hapnimi, my neshama, just wants to do Torah mitzvahs. That's all it wants. It just wants to be connected to God. That's all it wants. But yet I have a personality and I have shortcomings and I have things that, that I do wrong, that I'll probably do wrong if I'm realistic. I'll probably do wrong for the next 10, 20, 50, 30,000 years. I don't know. So how does that work? How does that connect? How do we make sense of that? A lot of understanding these things is what allows us to be empowered. A lot of what we're going to learn, my hope is, how do we how do we understand that? How do we connect the dots between my ratzon hapnimi, my taivas, my interests, my shortcomings, my nisyanis, my my chesronis? How do I? How does it all stem? How does it all work together? Because it does. It works together somehow. And essentially, how do I find a way to reveal more and more? of that Ratzon HaPnimi, that internal push to be the most, most authentic me? That's the big question. We're gonna learn one paragraph and then, and then, we'll, and then we'll, we'll, take a, we'll take a break. So you, nobody has this in front of them, so I'll just read it, it's fine. Um, I would encourage, if it's possible, to find that even this is the best, is the best thing. If anybody wants, I could try to find it for them. Um, but this has a beautiful, it's a very easy Hebrew on the bottom. Um, so we'll, we'll just start from the first, the first paragraph. The nice thing about this Sefer is, is that it's literally, most of them are literally blurbs. Some of them are a sentence, some of them are four sentences, some of them are two, maybe two pages, but really most of them are just blurbs, like tweets. So it, it's enough to us, for us to like tackle them. So... So he says at the beginning, as this is the cooks. This is really it's writing from his father. So this is Rav Cooks Hakdama. The paragraph is called El Hamidos Kenias Hamidos Ubiruran Mesigayam. What's the what is the the how do we how do you kind of midos? How do you get this knowledge, this awareness? How do you connect to this? So he says, Zikuch Hamidos. To clarify your midos, to be clear, to have clarity about your midos, the derech hadas first intellectually, who kaidam lezichuchan bederech haregesh. You have to first clarify intellectually the right way to be before you can clarify them in internally. Kiim loyeda If you don't know what is bad and what is good. How can you inspire yourself to get that which is good, acquire that which is good, 
in the way that of of being kind of something how do you how do you um own something how do you to own it literally like to own it not i don't mean to buy it in the store but like to own it as we use in our vernacular how do you own it if you don't know what the distinction is between good and bad because we are so accustomed to living the way that we we live because we are so accustomed to be who we are if i want to be anything different than what i'm naturally habituated to how do i know how i should be different if i don't know intellectually how i should be different so the first thing that he says is it's important to know intellectually which mitos we should acquire which mitos we shouldn't acquire that's all he says to be malamed on the way many of us have been educated we are first taught the way it should be the rest of our lives are meant to figure out okay now what but at the beginning we're taught intellectually this is the way it should be we're not necessarily taught so how do you get there? That's what we spend most of the rest of our lives trying to figure out. So if we can undo whatever, whatever trappings that we are left from, whatever uninspired ways we have been le left off from our upbringings to not be interested in, in, in perfecting ourselves or growing ourselves, let, it, let us just try to remember that the purpose of being in yeshiva and being raised in, in a way where we're taught musr that was really just, as Rav Cook is saying, to intellectually know the way it should be. Now the rest of your life, you're, you're supposed to go figure it out. Like Rabbi Kiva, like, like Hillel said, when the, when the Ger came to him and said to him, the guy came to him and said to him, teach me Torah regalachas. So he said to him, basically said to him, that, that's it, just know that. Now, the rest is just a pierce, you go figure it out, fine, but just know that. So that's the way we have to look at our at our Jewish education. Now things are much different. I mean, all of us, if I think all of us went back to school, we'd have a much different experience. Things are changing, Baruch Hashem. But at the end of the day, to recognize there's something that was there, there's something there to teach us right from wrong, good, fine. Now we have to figure out how we're supposed to, how do we inspire ourselves? So now how do, how do we move on? So we're gonna end here for now. Um, but my bracha as we get closer to Shavuos is to recognize that the Kenyan Hamidos to find ways from the Torah, not just ways to get to the Torah, to recognize that that building Midos is not, oh, it's not a means to an end. It's an end in and of itself. Cleaning house, building myself, growing myself is not an abstract part of Yiddishkeit. It's, it's, it comes from the Torah itself. Derech Eretz Kadmala Torah doesn't mean that Derech Eretz is not part of Torah. Derech Eretz Kadmala Torah means you can't have Torah if you don't have Derech Eretz. You can't, of, co of course you have Torah in every Madrega, but you can't say that what you're talking about is Torah if you yourself haven't worked out your own life. Working out your own life is not a means to get into Torah. Working out your own life is part of Torah. In, in, in many ways, it's the whole use site of Torah. The whole use site of Torah is actualize yourself. Be the best you can be. Grow way beyond whatever your means tell you. Whatever is normal for you, whatever is habitual for you, that's great. You want to take a self-empowerment course? That's great. You want to go, you want to, 
You want to do ayahuasca and discover all mystical kinds of realms in the world? That's great. Fine. No problem. Do all that stuff. Although, actually, I was on a Zoom call this week. I asked David Cohen this question. I, 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 uh, I don't know if anybody saw. I did a, um, a webinar with David Cohen asking him questions. And one of the questions that I was like the moderator. So the, one of the questions that came up is about doing psychedelics. And um, I, I, don't, I don't think you understood enough about psychedelics, but I asked him about, about tripping, about literally going to a field and, and, and having a, a party. And uh, he, didn't have, he didn't have many great things to say about it, but he didn't have anything logically wrong to say about it. Um, you want to do that, that's fine. But, but there's something even beyond that. There's something even beyond that. And that's the ultimate the Nitzchias of Torah is to say that to use the Torah as a way of catapulting yourself into a realm that's higher than you are, that's the, that's the, that's the highest thing anybody can do. So we should be in our, in our own lives to be able to do that.